You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. So today on Spot On, we have Dr. Peter McGraw. He's a behavioral economist and global expert in the scientific study of humor. Yes, there is a scientific study of humor, which I can't wait to hear more about. He directs the Humor Research Lab, another thing we're going to ask him about. Hosts the podcast, I'm Not Joking, is the co-author of The Humor Code, a global search for what makes things funny and is the author of a recent new book he called Shtick to Business, What the Masters of Comedy Can Teach You About Breaking Rules, Being Fearless, and Building a Serious Career. I'm so excited to have Dr. Peter here on Spot On. Joan, thanks so much for having me. It's very clear you're an East Coast gal. And I, I grew up in New Jersey, and so you were bringing back East Coast memories. Okay, so I'm making you homesick, and, you know, you're going to call your family when you get off, right? <laughs> yes, I will. I promise. Do you know that once someone said to me, oh, you have such a Boston accent? I said, I do not have a Boston accent. Let's you know, forget it. This is so New York, New Jersey. But anyway, okay. Dr. Peter, what is a humor lab? I wish that it was what your listeners are thinking that it is, which is, uh, you know, a room, you know, with, uh, with tables and, and shelves filled with whoopee cushions and, uh, <laughs> and rubber chickens, you know, it's not that. Um, the Humor Research Lab is a, a collection of um, professors, graduate students, undergrads, uh, occasionally a postdoc, who are interested in studying the antecedents and consequences of humor. That is, mm. what makes things funny and what are the implications uh, of humor for living a good life? Right. And, you know, we're going to get into this, but there's a lot of benefits from having humor in your life. Especially nowadays, yes. So why, why am I craving laughter during this hunkering downtime? There are four benefits of of humor in general, and then I think that they become even more important during times of, of distress, like like many of us are are in. So, so the first one is is that laughter is good for us. Like it has a, it has physical benefits of actually laughing. Now, they're quite mild. You know, laughing is not going to uh, let you get out of going to the gym and working out, <laughs> but but nonetheless, the act of laughing is is good for us physiologically. The second one is that that experiencing amusement, that delightful feeling when someone tells a good joke or you're watching a funny rom-com, um, anytime that, you know, anytime that you're interacting with comedy, so to speak, those positive emotions are extraordinarily important for living a good life. So positive emotions help us be more creative. They help our immune systems, which are mm -hmm. obviously the big heroes nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the next thing is, besides laughing and then the, the positive emotions, is that 
being able to make jokes about the things that are bad, you know, being able to turn tragedy into levity, or even being a being able to hear people talk about um, the bad things in their lives in a way that's funny can actually reframe or reappraise those negative things to be less negative. Essentially, you can take a scary, tragic world and make it less scary and make it less tragic. And, and is that because, Dr. Peter, is, is that, in other words, like right now, this virus is the big, big bad enemy and um, we are all together. We can laugh at it and feel better about ourselves laughing about it? Potentially, you know, so this is, uh, this is one of the really fascinating things that I didn't anticipate when I started studying humor, which is we have a tendency to think of humor as this good thing. And, and to be honest, the, the actual cognitive and emotional and behavioral elements of humor are very, very good for us. But comedy isn't always good. So that is that comedy could unite us, that is, when, when you and I are laughing about something, then it means that we are sort of seeing the world in the same way and we're kind of bonding over this. As I like to say sometimes comedy is a conspiracy. You know, we, we all see the world in the same way. So in so other words, when we're laughing over toilet paper. Indeed. The problem is, is that comedy can also be weaponized, that it can be used to not bring us all together, but it can be used to divide people. This varies from good to bad, to be honest, depending on your perspective. So for example, satire is used to, you know, is used to undermine authority, but then sometimes comedy can be used to bully. So it's not right. punching up, but it's rather punching down. And so what I'm seeing with regard to COVID is a mix of the two. Sometimes there are these kind of elements that bring us all together. We have this sort of shared experience and shared laughter. And then sometimes we have the left making fun of the right, the right mm -hmm. making fun of the left. And, um, and in that way, it ends up becoming divisive. Right. So that, yeah, Dr. Peter, is that the same like, you know, laughing with somebody versus laughing at somebody? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so right now, together, we want to be laughing with each other. I think we're possible. Yeah, of course, that's, uh, you know, I mean, especially because we have this sort of shared threat and the shared experience. And um, in general, we're going to be better off if we can find ways to coordinate that are going to be positive. The interesting thing is the difference between bullying and teasing. And, and so that I think is really fascinating is that teasing has some of the same elements, right? Like you might actually be putting someone down, but teasing is designed to sort of gently enforce boundaries, enforce norms and so on. And when done successfully, it brings two people together. You know, yeah, Dr. Peter, you know, when you said that, the teasing, I first thought about my brother, okay, and I'll, and I'll call him later, but then I thought about the Coma brothers. You know, what you see with, uh, with Governor Como and his brother, who is on the CNN, and the banter back and forth, uh, the teasing that goes on is hysterical. It's great. And, and of course, that, you know, they're able to do that because they're close. But then one of the fascinating things is that teasing can bring them closer together. Right. A absolutely. And you can see the love on the split screen. And it is, it's a, it's a fun tease and it gives us all comfort. I, when I watch them and laugh, I feel like I just put a blanket around me and I feel so comfy on my couch having a very, very good laugh there. That's lovely.
So you said that, um, you know, it helps physiologically to laugh and, you know, uh, you know, it's a mood lifter. But like, give me, you know, I had read that, wow, it can actually stimulate organs and, and you know, relieve the stress response. So, so can you give me a little bit about physiologically what is going on when you're, we're laughing? You know, some of that is, is, to be honest, outside my training. I hate to say this, but I think some of those benefits are overstated. Okay. That is that I believe that the real benefits are, are on this fourth area, which is the social benefits of being funny and being able to laugh easily. And that is this. One of the things that's super important in terms of our health and well-being is to have social support. And so, look, it's fine to laugh alone. You know what I mean? Like, as you mentioned, these physiological benefits, you get the benefit of positive emotions and so on. But one of the real benefits of comedy is that shared experience. That is that, that when someone laughs easily, when someone makes jokes easily, when they're able to see the lighter side of life, especially when things are very challenging, those people are easy to spend time with. Right. They're easy to support. And so here's the sad thing is we've all had this experience, especially for your, um, your listeners who are in you know, college and graduate school and so on, is you have a friend who goes through a breakup and they're, they're super sad, they're really morose. And, and so you give them a call and they're sad and morose, but you wanna support them because you care about them. And then you call them again, they're sad and morose. You call them again, they're sad and morose. You call them again, they're sad and morose. And at some point, it becomes hard to pick up the phone and call them. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm not sure anyone calls anyone anymore, but you get the point. Right, right. And, but what happens, imagine that same friend, they're sad and morose the first time. The second time, you're able to joke about the experience, about you know, how terrible this person was or, how, or about how sad they are and so on. Well, the third time, it's easier to pick up the phone and call them because that person is, is a little more delightful, even in a time of tragedy, in a time of, of difficulty. And so what ends up happening is the people who seem to be able to cope with bad situations using comedy get more social support and then thus are better able to cope and thus get more social support and thus are more able to cope. Right. Can you tell me why, especially in these kinds of situations, why do I feel so much better when I make you laugh? Ah, that's, that's really nice question. So I think part of it is that you recognize that it's not easy to make people laugh. So the work that we've done in the Humor Research Lab, which, by the way, goes by the acronym HURL, which I think you'd appreciate, <laughs> reveals that it's easier to fail making a joke than it is to succeed. And the reason for that is twofold. So one is, is that what we find is that humor arises from things that are wrong yet okay, what we call benign violations. And so when you think about it, you're trying to find this sort of sweet spot between totally okay and the person being bored and totally wrong and the person being offended. And so there's sort of two ways to fail versus one way to succeed. The second thing is what's wrong and okay depends on the audience's beliefs, culture, context, even the number of drinks that they've had. And so when you're trying to make me laugh, what you have to do is thread the needle, so to speak, 
to create a benign violation, right? Not too yes. wrong, not too okay. And then you also have to anticipate how I think and feel and you have to understand what context I'm in in order to do it. And so when you can make someone laugh, obviously you're bringing a joyous experience to them and that feels good. The second one is, boy, you just did something that's incredibly difficult to do. Right, so you feel good about yourself. And there's a kindness going on there too. I made him laugh, so he's, for goodness sake, for two seconds he was happier. Indeed. I am spending more time finding people to make me laugh, you know, whether it's regular comedians or people like John Kaczynski with this, you know, such good news. I mean, how fabulous is that? I mean, you got to have good news. You're just going to have all bad news and looking for that and sharing it. And that's another thing, Dr. Peter, I'm doing it. I, all of a sudden, I am getting text messages and emails from relatives and friends with funny clips and funny videos. Like it's just like we're in this world of sharing and we're chuckling and then I'm finding that I'm sending them on to the right people. You know, somebody who would get the joke. But I'm finding that there is so much more of this than it was prior to this crazy virus. I think the reason for that, one is is that some people are working harder than ever. And then some people have had the kind of volume in their life turned down a bit. They actually have a little bit more time to think and a little bit more time to connect than they normally do. And then obviously, I think there's a Mark Twain quip that says there's no humor in heaven. That is because heaven's perfect. There's no reason to make jokes. <laughs> and uh, you need a little bit of hell uh, in order to, to create comedy, so to speak. The combination of a little bit extra time, a little bit of a recognition about how important people are to us, plus there's a lot of good material out there right now. Is, is that why um, being quarantined with your family members can be so funny? <laughs> well, yes, because there's lots of violations to make <laughs> nine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you right now, if I was quarantined with my brother, I'd be over all over him all day long, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I'm not quarantined with him. So I can only quarantine with him uh, funny on text messages. But you're right, because of all those barriers. And it's like Thanksgiving dinner every night because you're with together and you're sharing <laughs> of what is going on there. So how, you know, how can we help others uh, to laugh a little bit more during this pandemic and we're hungry again? What can we do to, to help people get a chuckle? To be honest, I think the best way to do it, and I, I mentioned it earlier, is pick up the phone. I, I think there's a reason that, that, you know, these Zoom calls, these Skype calls, these FaceTime calls, which, which weren't very popular before, have suddenly become popular. And that is that there is something about talking to someone and then on top of that, being able to see their reactions, see their face, see their smile, see their nonverbals. And so I think that the best way, you know, most of the comedy in our lives is not from watching Netflix specials. Most of the comedy in our lives comes from interacting with people that we're close to. Right. And so I think the thing is be like the Cuomo's and talk to each other. You know what I mean? Like try to see each other, even if it's on a screen. That's my best advice. Right. My kids, I have kids and um, they have a phone, obviously, in the texting. And, and if I call them, they will say, you know, blah, 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 please leave a message. And I'll leave a message. And you know what they'll say to me, Dr. Peter? Why did you leave a message? 
I said, because you asked me to leave a message. Why, then why did you Why did you put say leave a message? He says, no, I didn't really want you to leave a message. Just just have a hang up and then I'll call you back. But I said, I don't understand then why you say leave a message. It just makes no sense to me. And, and there is something about um, talking and they want to text, but there's nothing warm and fuzzy with texting. So I'm hoping the Zoom thing, I love the Zoom. This is, if I can get out of this darn thing, more FaceTiming or Zooming with my children and having them wash their hands, I'm good to go with this whole virus. I'm telling you, I think we'll come out ahead of the game here. First of all, that's a very funny joke about a voicemail message story because that's a perfect example of a benign violation of something that's wrong yet okay. Yeah. Dr. Peter, I'm very funny, okay? You just, you have, you have to get to know me. But anyway, speaking of funny, tell us about your new book because this sounds like really um, a great way to look at comedy um, and use it in your career. So talk a little bit about this. Sure. So the... The actual idea behind the book came from this idea of how difficult it is to be funny and the pitfalls of being funny at work. And so what I'm doing in the book is asking people to think funny, that is to think differently. And so I kind of pull back the curtain on the world of comedy, looking at stand-up, sketch, and improv. And what are the practices and perspectives of the world's funniest people? That is, how do they make this difficult thing so easy? And then what I do is I take those lessons and apply them to people's professional lives. Mm. So for example, one of the, one of the kind of like comedy 101 tactics is called the reversal is to use misdirection is to head in the opposite direction. So Henny Youngman back in the day had a joke that said, when I read about the dangers of drinking, I stopped reading. <laughs> and, and so that's a nice reversal. Very funny and uh, kind of unanticipated. And I think that the reversal can be useful in a lot of, uh, in a lot of contexts. So through, I'm assuming then through your book, because I just started, you're gonna give examples of this and how you can use this in your everyday life and your career path. Absolutely. Oh, okay. I even have a workbook uh, that you can download for free on petermcgraw.org that, that you can actually start to work through some of the lessons in the book. Oh my God, you know something? We're gonna get this up on the Spot On uh, Facebook page, a copy of his book and a link to it because you know why you've been hunkering down. Why don't we learn when we go back how to make your workplace a little bit better for you? So we'll do that. So with that said, I wanna thank you so much, Dr. Peter McGraw for coming on Spot On. Joan, you're a delight. Thank you so much. Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salji Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you?